Praise the Lord. Welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis, our Friday morning edition. We're now doing Cross Time with Pastor Curtis on Monday mornings and Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Central Time. And we're teaching from the book of 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and get ready to follow along with us today. We're just tickled to have you with us. And uh, we're just so excited about what the Lord is doing right here at the end of the age. And my friends, we are at the closeout period time. We, this age is about to close out. Jesus is about to come for his bride to take us out of here. And uh, we're all excited about that, getting more excited as God makes that path he set our feet on brighter and brighter as that perfect day approaches. And man, I tell you what, I'm, I just get more excited about the truth of God's word every time I open my Bible. And I'm telling you, he just continues to show us the great truths of his son and what he did for us at Calvary. So tell somebody about the show uh, every Monday and Friday at 9 a.m. Central Time. Share the messages. Please share the messages with others that they might learn the word of God as the truth that is it, it is in its righteous context. And so... Uh, don't forget that uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, myself and the Peace family will be in Naples, Florida with Pastors Mahari and Monique Warfield. They're in the great congregation of the Word of the Cross Ministries, and it's their one-year celebration of being a local church, not just another local church, but a local church who's learning the truth of the cross of Christ, becoming determined to know absolutely nothing other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'm looking forward, as well as the Peace family, of being there with them next weekend. It'll start Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, and the information is on my Facebook pages. And uh, if you need more information, you can email me at curtishutchinson at att.net, or you can simply... Uh, message Mahari Warfield there in Naples, Florida, and get the information you need. We're looking forward to that. Everything we do here at Crossway Church ends up on the YouTube channel, Curtis Hutchinson 316. This morning, right now, it's live on the Crossway Church, Queen City, Texas Facebook page, and the Mondays and Friday episodes are later uploaded to the YouTube channel, but the worship services can be watched live also on the YouTube channel. Again, it's Curtis Hutchinson 316. We have a website, thecrosswaychurch.com. There are commentaries that I've written. They're out there. I encourage you to go click on the store icon. Uh, get some of those. You will be blessed and encouraged as the Holy Spirit is able to guide you in more truth of Jesus, who is the truth, and what he did at Calvary that makes him the applicable truth to you through your faith in what he did there for you and to you. Amen. So, here we are this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go ahead and get ready to get in the Word because, you know, time goes by so fast when you're in the Word of God and you're seeking the Lord for truth to be imparted into your heart. And I just have to believe that today is going to be a great day of impartation. Now, I'm not waiting for Sunday morning. It right now, hallelujah. And, 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 and later on today, when you're all by yourself and you've got that Bible laid out there in your lap and you're seeking God for the truth, I'm telling you, I just have to believe that even during this Bible study today, the Lord is attempting to put truth in our hearts. I know he's trying us every moment. Job said that in chapter 7, verse 18, that our Lord tries us every moment. And what's he trying us for? He's trying to keep our feet in the righteous path he set them in. He's trying to get us to see the path can be brighter if we'll stay on it. He's, try, he's trying to see if we will keep 
participating in his new covenant. He's trying to get us to participate in his new covenant. He's trying to get us to see that he only and always delivers us unto the death of Jesus so that we might partake of, we might taste of that death by the grace of God through faith that we might be able to experience and express the very life of our Savior. Hallelujah. So I just have to believe the Lord is with us. He is attempting to impart the truth into our hearts today. Not just give us something that's good for somebody else or for me to share, something for me personally today. That's just how faithful he is. Verse 20, 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, which at one time were disobedient. He's talking about the spirits in prison. The verse before says that Jesus went and preached to, and last week we talked about that. We covered that, and I believe the Lord gave us what we needed to be able to understand what we need to understand at this point. So if you missed that episode, please go back and listen. And I know the Lord will impart knowledge and truth into your heart that will encourage you, edify you, and satisfy your soul. And uh, that's what we need to, to walk with the Lord in a way that satisfies our soul. And if our faith is anchored in the right object, being the cross, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will find that place of abiding satisfied. Amen? But he says here in verse 20, which at one time were disobedient, those he preached to, the spirits in prison, which when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. That has always been a painful and much awful picture to me that the, 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 the millions, probably millions of people put to death by water, the same water that saved Noah and only seven of his family members. And as we've heard before in past messages, and I'll say it again this morning, Noah had to have brothers and sisters. His wife had to have brothers and sisters his 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 son's wives had to have brothers and sisters but none of them came to this narrow way of literally believing in a redeemer i wouldn't doubt that there had been other people claiming they believed in god going to send a redeemer but they wouldn't believe that it was going to be through the sacrifice and you had to believe that you, it doesn't matter if you think some God somewhere exists and you think he's going to send some redeemer at some time. If it's not the God of heaven and earth that created heaven and earth and gave his son on Calvary's cross, then it's not a God and it's not a gospel and there is no redeemer coming for you than the one that God, the one true God, has already sent. And so it's not just, I believe there's a Redeemer coming. Muslims believe they have a Redeemer coming. And my friend, when the Redeemer comes, they're going to find out that's not the one they've been waiting on, but it's the only one God will ever offer. And there is no other Redeemer on offer. So let's get back to point here. Back in the days of Noah and possibly millions of people on the earth and again, this has always been a painful and an awful picture in my mind. Only eight people believed that there would be a Redeemer coming and that to believe on Him, you had to believe with your heart and you had to be a part of the sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be a part of your believing in the Redeemer that was coming because God had showed the way through the promise of a coming Redeemer and he showed Adam and Eve beginning how that Redeemer would come and redeem them. It would be through not what they did, 
but what God himself would do by offering a sacrifice for them. And so, there, like I said, there may have been others on the earth in the days of Noah that believed there was a Redeemer coming. There's people now who believe a Redeemer's coming, but their faith is not in the sacrifice of Christ, the one true Redeemer. And if it's not in the cross, it's not in Christ, the one God sent. And you, you just have to think about that. Eight people. And my friend Jesus said, as in the days of Noah... When he comes, it's going to be the same way again. Now, I believe for the most part, when he said that, he was probably talking about when he comes for Israel itself at the end of the Great Tribulation. Now, I'm not going to take away and say that he was not speaking of the rapture, uh, but I will say I believe for the most part he was speaking of when he comes back to this earth. And he's not coming back to this earth during the rapture. He's taking us out of this earth. But when he returns to this earth, it's going to be as in the days of Noah. And he is going to find, again, only a few, that few remnant. You, you have to remember during the Great Tribulation, uh, 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 listen, almost all of Israel is going to be destroyed except for that one small remnant that will be found the believing remnant who realizes that Jesus Christ, the one that they've rejected now for 2,000 years, is literally their Savior, their Redeemer, and their King, and they accept Him. That's found in Zechariah chapters 13 and 14. And it's going to be a very, very small remnant in that day, a remnant of Israel. I mean, just think about the people all over the world and how few Israel is. And, and, and then most all of them are going to be wiped away except for a small, minute remnant that will believe upon him again. So uh, the Bible here says in verse 20 that these eight souls were saved by water. And as I said last week, and it's such a beautiful and true statement, and the Bible here says they were saved by water. And that, that really shows us a picture of their baptism. As, as tw verse 21 says, the like figure of this being saved by water for them, whereunto even baptism does also now save us. And we'll get to that later. But I want you to see he's, he's referring here to that which happened in the days of the flood of Noah as a baptism that saved, a baptism of water. And we'll see later that water can't save anybody as far as us being baptized in a water tank because that's something we do. And it doesn't matter what we do, nothing we do can save us. Our faith has to be in what God did in Christ on the cross. And so that's what Noah and his family's faith was in, or they couldn't have been saved in the ark by the water, the Bible says. And I made this statement last week, and it's a very true statement. It wasn't the ark that saved them. It was their faith in the Redeemer. That's all that has ever saved. Just like all through the Old Testament, it was never the blood of animals that God was pleased with, although the, it was required for them to come to Him and to worship Him, to receive of Him, to be found pleasing unto Him through the sacrifice He commanded and required, but it wasn't he was never pleased with the blood of animals. Hebrews tells us that in chapter 10. But it was only faith. God, it's impossible to please God without faith. So it had to be faith of an animal sacrifice, the shedding of its blood. Get this very important thing now. But never faith in the animal sacrifices. It was faith through what they would offer that would point to and reach to their faith, or their faith should be, in a coming Redeemer. 
Now, we see in the book of Psalms, I'm writing commentary there now, in Psalms chapter 50, where the Lord has to remind them, listen, I'm not hungry. You're not feeding me when you bring your sacrifices. It'd be good for you to make a note now and check that out because that's exactly what God is doing there in Psalms 50. He's telling them, listen, I'm not rebuking you because of your bringing me continually these offerings, these sacrifices, he says that, and these burnt offerings. And then he goes into telling them, but, but, but I'm not hungry. The animals already all belong to me. I'm not hungry. You're not doing this for me. This is something I've established for you. It's a powerful psalm in verse in, in, in chapter 50 of Psalms. Read that and see that. So it was never faith in the animal sacrifices. It was the offering of animal sacrifices because their faith was in, I said in, a coming redeemer. Hallelujah. So know that. It wasn't the ark that saved them. It was their faith in a redeemer that saved them. Hallelujah. But here the Bible says these eight souls were saved by water. And and the reason he says that the Holy Spirit uses this saved by water is because in the next verse he says the like figure that symbolically Noah and his seven family members were saved by water was symbolic of our being saved also by baptism but not water baptism. It was only the like figure of the baptism that would save us. We're not saved by water. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. You have to understand, in the Old Covenant, it was all natural. That's why in Romans chapter 11, the Lord says through the Apostle Paul that the natural branches were cut off. Get that. Israel still has a chance, an opportunity every moment of every day. Israel who is alive today of the lineage of Abraham's flesh, the natural branches, they can still believe upon Christ and become a spiritual branch, hallelujah, in the true vine. But the natural branches were cut off. And get this now, uh, everything in the Old Covenant was was natural. It was things they had to do to obey the law. It was literally bringing animal sacrifices. They had to do that. They had to do the law. They couldn't, so they had to do the doing of bringing animal sacrifices. You and I ought to be shouting the high praises of God today, my friend, that the law has been fulfilled by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He became the end of the law for our righteousness. Glory be to God for all righteousness before God. Jesus Christ, our Lord, became the end of the law. And now our faith in him, us literally being placed in him under the new covenant, we don't have to do all that and bring all those things that God was never pleased with, but now he's only pleased by faith in his son by which he speaks in these last days. So we're going to get into something really, really good today. And not that we aren't already, but I'm going to uh, hopefully share some things the Lord is showing me lately. Uh, and we'll get into that. But I want us to see this morning before we move on that Noah and his family being saved by water represent represents, watch this now, the flood waters of destruction that came to the earth because of sin. God raised his Noah and his family up above the waters in the ark, all symbolic of being in Christ and raised up above, called out of the destruction. Even now, my friend, of the world, you and I have been snatched out of the fires of destruction by being immersed into the death, by baptism into the death, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been snatched out of the fires of destruction. We've been moved and delivered from the lust of the flesh that were causing nothing but self-destruction in our lives. 
And, and so the waters of the flood that brought destruction to all unbelievers saved all believers. The waters that flooded the earth caused that which God had placed his people in to rise above all the flood waters of destruction and saved them. Noah and his seven family members in that day hallelujah, were saved by the very waters that flooded the people. And when the waters were flooding the earth, destroying all those who would not believe, it was also regenerating the entire natural earth. And the first thing Noah did when he got off the ark, uh, he, he didn't say, let's do this, let's do that. He said, build an altar, my friend, which was the manifestation of where Noah's faith really was. Not in the altar, not in the animals, but what they represented a redeemer, hallelujah. The Bible, we know that to be true because the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness and righteousness does not exist without the redeemer, a, a focus of, a faith in, a laying hold of by faith that one redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, back in that day, they had to literally build an altar and sacrifice a literal animal, shed its literal blood to, to show God that their faith was in the sacrifice of a coming Redeemer. And it's just so beautiful. It's a picture laid out before us that we see in verse 21. Now let's move on. The like figure. It's only the like, like that, you can look at it and see the figure, spiritual figure of baptism that now saves us. But it's not water baptism for us. It's spiritual baptism into the death of Jesus. The Bible says, and you need to make a note of this if you're new to the focus of the cross in the teaching of all of God's Word. That is, my friend, where the revival is taking place right now. That's where revival is being offered. It's not being offered by God anywhere else. A revival unto what? If it's not a revival being made alive again unto God, really 1 Corinthians 15 and 34 awakening unto righteousness, hallelujah, that was written to the church, awaken unto righteousness and sin not. The only reason someone would need to be revived is because sin is doing something to them, the sin nature. And that's why Paul, through the, the, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth and to you and me, are told, awaken unto righteousness and sin not. So there is no revival being offered, no matter how you hear the pop-up of it over there, the pop-up of it over here, if it's not centered around the sacrifice of Christ in that alone, it cannot revive us. And disagreeing with this statement makes one a part of the seduction and the deception that has filled, permeated, saturated the church today. It's the cross of Christ and nothing else that brings revival to the church. And so we see that we weren't, let me, let me quote for you, and uh, you can look it up, Romans chapter 6 verse 3. Don't you know that as many of us that have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Let's go ahead and look at that. Let's lay our eyes on it. It's such a beautiful and revealing picture. It also reveals that it's not water baptism that saves because we're, because we're not living under the old covenant where all the natural branches existed. Get that, Matt. So I just saw that recently in Romans 11. It was the natural branches that were cut off because they would they refused to become spiritual branches in the one true vine that God sent so they had to do everything natu in the natural 
the doing, the altar building, the, the feast, the festival, all of that. They had to do that in the natural, in their flesh, living out, carrying out the duties, duties, doing of the things God commanded. And watch Romans 6 and 3 now. Don't you know, know ye not, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now listen, the majority of commentaries that you'll read, and I challenge you, I, I encourage you, when you're looking at commentaries in bookstores on the book of Romans, pick it up and immediately go to Romans chapter 6, verse 3. And where they're talking about this referring to water baptism, they're not going to understand much of the New Testament. They're surely not going to understand sanctification by faith. They're not going to understand how the Holy Spirit works. I promise you, they're not going to understand that. They're, and if they don't understand it, they're not going to be able to teach that. And if you're sitting under one of those teachers, you're not going to learn it through them either. You may hear it somewhere else. But you're not going to learn it through them that think that you were baptized into Jesus by being baptized into a, a baptismal tank in a church. Water baptism is a command. It's, it's, listen, it's one of the two ordinances given to the church, water baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion. Both of those are symbolic of what Christ did at Calvary and your faith in him and what he did at Calvary him being crucified for you and you being crucified with him. Both of those church ordinances that were given to us to continue to carry out point to the death of Jesus, the revelation of the cross. Amen. So you weren't, listen, you weren't baptized into Jesus Christ when you were baptized into water. You were baptized, immersed into Christ. You entered into Christ by placing your faith, believing really with your heart unto that righteous work, Romans 10 and 10. And when your faith, with your heart, you believed, hear me carefully, believed in that place, the Holy Spirit literally placed you, immersed you in that place, being in Christ. Water baptism didn't do that for you. Water baptism was an act of obedience on your part as you were led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in the obedience of being water baptized because you were already a believer in Jesus Christ. You had already been immersed into his death. You had to be immersed into his death to be justified. And you had, listen, to be made righteous. You had to be immersed into the very one who was trusting in the one who judges righteously, who was putting away your sins and offering to you his righteousness. You had to first be immersed into him by faith to be declared righteous, and you had to be righteous before God could justify you. He doesn't justify anything, anyone, or anything that's not righteous. You have to first be made righteous, and then you have the potential of bearing righteous fruit. But that potential is there in the, 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 the actual uh, experience of the potential of bearing the fruit of righteousness is based on whether or not you deliberately and consciously keep your faith in the crucified Lamb of God. Any, you place your faith in Pentecost, your faith, you, you place your faith in anything, the miracles, healing, in anything other than the death of Jesus, and you're walking outside of grace. Now, a lot of people don't believe that today, but that's just to their own destruction because you have to have grace to live by, by faith. You have to have grace to live by faith. And listen, God only gives grace where he finds faith. And the faith we live by, Galatians 2.20, is the faith of the Son of God. Here's the avenue of the grace and faith that loved us and gave himself for us. So watch this now. Uh, let's go back to where we were in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. The like figure, 
the like figure, that symbolic saving by water of Noah and his seven family members, even now points us to the baptism that saves us. And again, it's not water. Water can't save you. you you got to understand the difference between the natural branches of Israel and that which now God has created a new, one new man, the spiritual new man. Not all the natural branches have been cut off. Romans 11. And now there is one new man in Christ Jesus and all the branches that are the spiritual man, there's only one new man in Christ Jesus, Jew, Gentile. It's none of that. It's one new man, and they're all spiritual branches. All the natural branches have been cut off. Romans 11, go look it up. If the people that are still trying to do something, kill an animal, shed its blood, uh, sprinkle its blood, uh, faith in e- even the New Testament things that we're called to do. If your faith is in the doing of those things, you are living as though you're back under law because our faith cannot be in anything but Christ. He's the only object of faith. Listen, Christ crucified. It's the only place you could, you could put your faith and God save you It's the only place God has offered you to put your faith so that you can walk in the faith. You might say, well, now, preacher, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and we've got a big Bible, and, you know, it's a lot more than the cross. No, my friend, it's not more than the cross. The whole Bible is going to point you to the cross of Christ. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit delivers all of those who are alive, talking about being alive in Christ, unto the death of Jesus so that they can express the life of Jesus. How does he do that? With every word in our Bibles. See, there may be teaching on prayer, but prayer is going to lead you to Calvary. There may be teaching on marriage, But that teaching in the Word of God is going to lead you to the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully if you're a Bible believer. If you're selective and changing and twisting, well, this is probably not for you. But the Holy Spirit always, why don't you just go ahead and say that word today, always. That means there's never a moment that he's not delivering you, child of God, unto that being the only thing he can deliver you to through which he can express Christ to you and through you. That's the death of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 4 and 4 and Luke 4 and 4 that we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But yet, the Bible says the life we live by is found in the blood. Leviticus 17. I believe it's Leviticus 17, 11. The life is in the blood. There is no remission of sins. There is no, no removal or escape from the death of being dead in sin without the blood of Jesus and our faith in it. So if we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, yet the life is only found in the blood. then that carries us back to what Moses said under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in Exodus 24 after he read the entirety of the law to the people of Israel. Then he took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, on the altar, and on the law he read and made this profound declaration in Exodus 24 and 8. Behold the blood of the covenant. Not behold the law. Because they'd already said, we can keep it, we can do it. And the response of God through Moses to their response of being able to keep the law and do the law was this. Behold the blood of the covenant which I have given you concerning all these words. So the the confusion, the the distraction by many ministers that say the Bible is more than about the cross. My friend, the Bible is about many topics, but they're out of your reach. 
unless you're seeing what the Holy Spirit is always showing you, always delivering you unto. Because it's what you and I have to be looking at, the sacrifice of Christ, who he was when he was being sacrificed. Listen, that's what we have to be beholding if we're going to be by the Spirit of the Lord going from glory to glory, being changed into that same image. Now, there's a lot of people today who don't want to hear sound teaching. They just want a touch. They just want this, what, the, what the, a lot of the church days call in a touch. We just want a touch. No, you need sound doctrine because through it, you're going to be touched by the Lord. I'm a firm believer. If it ain't the truth moving you, you're not being moved by God. And I know that's a powerful statement in these last days. And, and not, it won't be believed by most because most in where we are in time in this church age have already been seduced and duped and carried away from sound doctrine. You know, the manifestation of itching ears and heaping teachers to scratch those itching ears is, is, is people who are, are piled up in places just wanting some carnal word, some fleshly word. Just keep decreeing to me, keep declaring to me and instead of showing me sound doctrine. That's the time we're living in. So watch this now, and, 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 and we're trying to make it somewhere today, and the Lord's walking us through this in such a powerful time it is. The like figure of those who were saved by water, the like figure now is even baptism does also now save us. And let me say it again before we move on. It's not water baptism. It can't save you. They washed themselves under the Old Testament, but they couldn't go to heaven. They had to go to paradise and, and wait for the Redeemer to come because it's not natural water baptism and even water baptism now. Listen, even water baptism under the new covenant is symbolic of what happened at Calvary. The water that saved Noah and his family was symbolic of what Jesus would do at Calvary ahead of Noah. The water baptism we experience in the natural is a spiritual thing if it's by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. And it, on, it is only if our faith is in the death, the, the death baptism, the baptism into his death. Hallelujah. If it, it listen, it, all those who teach water baptism for salvation, they're just te they're teaching the doing of something for salvation, and and everything we do is what we're doing, unless it's what the Holy Spirit's doing, and He only works. The Holy Spirit works within the perimeters of the law, being the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 2. That means if I'm trying to enter into Christ Jesus through water baptism, then I'm not going to be able to. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 2 again. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Being put in a water tank can't free you from sin and death. That took the death of Jesus. And let me say this before we move on. It's not faith in the death of Jesus and also you have to complete your salvation by being water baptized. My friend, Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. All you have to do is believe upon him, call upon that name, and you shall be saved. Not call upon that name and be water baptized. That's right. You, you can twist the scriptures for your own destruction, your own destruction, if you believe that you have to be water baptized to go to heaven. The thief on the cross was not water baptized, Listen, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And later he led that man out of paradise and all the way to heaven. Hallelujah. So don't come in with your reasonings that are so unscriptural 
unscriptural about you're required to be water baptized. No, it's a command, but how many other commands are you not carrying out that God has told you to carry out under the new covenant? Come on now, somebody. Hallelujah. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what you believe. And that what you believe better just be what Jesus did. Hallelujah to the Lamb. It's His having done, finished, completed, and perfected that way of salvation. When He by Himself had purged us from our sins, not us coming along and doing something, when he had by himself purged us from our sins and a heart that's believing under righteousness is all God's looking for, that heart will get in a water baptismal tank, a pond, a lake, somewhere, and get water baptized if they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit to be manifestly obedient and a child of God. Amen. So the like figure, that which saved uh, uh, Noah and his family, saved by water, the same waters that brought destruction, they rose above on that water and were saved in that ark because of their faith in a coming Redeemer. Does now also save us, and it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not that which washes your body, and that's all a water tank can do. That's all a water tank can do is clean your outward body because it's a natural act unless it's being led by the Holy Spirit that makes what men see a natural act something far more spiritual. It is spiritual if it's because of one's faith in the death of Jesus and them already having believed and been saved. But it's, it's limited to being a natural act. If you think doing that, doing that saves you, it still remains a natural act of yourself. Capital letters, S-E-L-F, self. Water baptism is what we do that can be spiritual if it's through our faith in the sacrifice. It's like any other thing. If we're out feeding the hungry, it has an appearance of good. But if we're not doing that with our faith anchored in the sacrifice of Christ and the Holy Spirit working in us through that to do that, then it's just us. And many times, many times we've done what men see as good so that men will see us doing good and think something good may be about us, but many times it's not the Holy Spirit. Many times, and, and let me say this, it cannot be the Holy Spirit working because He only works through the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And I've been ministering for several weeks now on Wednesday nights, a message entitled, or titled, should I say, being found in Christ. Because we're not every moment found experiencing Christ. We can be walking after the flesh or we can be walking in the Spirit. In the Spirit is the only time that God finds us in our condition here, in Christ. So we can be doing good things and it not be by the Spirit of God, but it's only good in men's eyes because the only thing good in God's eyes is what He's doing. Oh, write that down. Never forget that. Men see lots of things we call good, but God only sees good is that which He's doing in a corrupt and wicked fallen world. If he's not doing it, it's not good. He has to be the one initiating it, giving the power to carry it out, and literally be the one doing it in and through us. Jesus told us that in John 15, 5. You can't do anything without me. That means he has to be the initiator of it. <clears throat> he has to be the one guiding in it. He has to be the one giving you power by his spirit to do it. And if that's the case... He's going to be being magnified, and our Heavenly Father is going to be being glorified. Amen? So this water baptism of the old in the natural that saved them rising above that water also is symbolic of that baptism that saved us. And we could talk about that a long time, but it's not water baptism that cleanses the outward of the flesh, 
But it gives us, here it comes, I wanted to get to this today. We're not going to be able to cover this in the depth that I'd like to. So it looks like we're going to have one more session uh, next Monday morning on this particular topic we're about to move into. Us receiving the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you look back in verse 15 now, scroll back up to verse 15, and we're given here the answer of what our experience should be when we're being lamb-blasted, accused of all these things that, that you will be if you are learning to trust in nothing other than Christ and Him crucified, and if you're refusing to, to allow mixture into your pulpits, into uh, the places of leadership, you're going to be blasted all in the name of love. Let me tell you and let me assure you that love will eliminate the mixture. Love will not allow mixture. Love is guarding the sheep, guarding the flock. Love flows from Calvary's cross. That's true faith. Faith works by love, and faith can't work in a mixture. So uh, love, true love, guards the flock from the mixture. And then we'll begin to twist many things to make it look like those who are determined to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified and who refuse the mixture in the pulpit that they're really not loving. But let me assure you, I've got a Bible, hallelujah, and I won't use it to twist and to make what I feel should be right. I'll use it in the context it was written, which is outside of faith in the cross of Christ, we're not functioning in the love of God. And when we allow ministers to come in and minister that which is not pointing us to what the Holy Spirit always points to and delivers us unto, then that's really not love, even though we want to call it love, it's not. So watch this in verse 15 of this same third chapter of 1 Peter. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer which means a defense to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and humility and fear and reverence before the Lord is what it means. But we're to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason. And, it's, they're not, and this context in which this, this was written is that they're not asking because they see something they like. This context is because they're, they're being criticized. Their negative things are coming at them. And he, tells, he says this, be ready always to give an answer, which means to give a defense to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And verse 16 says, having a good conscience. The answer that we have as to why we love the Lord Jesus Christ, follow Him, seek after Him and His righteousness before all things, learn to become determined to know nothing other and to allow nothing other to minister to the people is because we do have a good conscience. And the good conscience is because we've received the right answer, which is the right defense, which is our righteousness, the gospel. <laughs> That's why we've said for 18 years almost there can be 10,000 sermons, but the message in every sermon must be redemption, must be pointing to the cross. Why would we make excuses as to why it wouldn't have to be? Because if we're not touching that with our hearts, and we can't just assume people are because most are not, then whatever it is we are putting on the table can't be partaken of. It can't be partaken of. If we just teach on prayer or faith or anything and we're not touching with our hearts the redemption of God, the cross of Christ, we're not going to see the impartation of what we need that is being put on the table. Paul told the church in Rome in the very first chapter of Romans, he couldn't wait to get to them. An already saved, an already spirit-filled church, he couldn't, get wait, he couldn't wait to get to them 
to preach the gospel to them, to be able to impart something of them to them, but it would be through the gospel. All the things he taught, the context was always not the, 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 the literal topics he was teaching, although those, those things have to be known, but you have to be touching Calvary's cross to experience the topics that are in the Bible, as we explained earlier. So if you just jumped in, please go back and listen to the whole message. Don't jump in. Some, some people just share 15-second uh, clips of, of a message so they can use it for their own carnal purposes. But you got to listen to the whole teaching. Amen? But I wanted to back up here because he says in verse 15, you got to sanctify the Lord in your heart. you got to have him set apart in the only place he can be set apart, and that's through faith in his sacrifice for you so that you can be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with humility and reverence, meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And we're going to look at this. I, I ministered a teaching on having a good conscience in Crossway Fellowship a couple of weeks ago when Andrew and I was there among Pastor Scotty Williams and the congregation there uh, that Saturday morning, which was the 15th. So if you, if you haven't heard that yet, please go back and listen to that. I, I'm telling you, what I'm about to share concerning the good conscience is, is really what we might call a mind blower, a great illuminator. It is, it is, a, it is a great light for the soul to understand what it means to have a good conscience. It's not how you feel or what you think. It's, it's really, we're going to see, it's, 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 it's how you perceive. But that perce it's not just how you perceive that gives you a good conscience. It's having a co-perception. It's seeing as some other party sees. That's what it means. That's what it means. A good, I want you to look at, I want you to make a note of this, whether you do it right now or you do it later, please do this for your own protection and for your own edification. The phrase good conscience, conscience in and of itself means a co-perception. So as you are come alongside someone who's digging a ditch and we give you a shovel, you become a co-laborer in the digging of that ditch. The Bible says that you and I are co-laborers with God. We're laboring according to what He labors in. Our labor has to be what His labor is. That means our faith has to be in what He's done as the labor. And then we become co-laborers. What did Jesus tell those that gathered around Him and ask Him, what must we do? to do the works of God. And Jesus said, believe upon the one whom God sent. So, being a co-laborer with God is working in the work that God has labored. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it is, that we labor to enter into this rest. And it explains there in chapter 4 of Hebrews that the way we labor, those of us who have entered in by faith do labor. Our laboring is by faith to keep our faith in Christ and the labor he carried out, finished and perfected on the cross, only through that faith in his death makes us partakers of the afflictions of the gospel. Only our faith in his death, deliberate and consciously, allow us to be in the fellowship of his sufferings, to be in a fellowship where we're learning to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Only as our faith is in the death of Jesus are we made co-laborers alongside of God with God. So when we look at that as a reality, and it is, when you see the word conscience, it means co-perception. The moment you and I were born again, God gave us vision. What vision was it? It was his vision of how he sees things. It wasn't just some vision. It was his vision. The Bible says, I believe it is in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
That word vision means revelation. It means revelation. And that's the revelation that God gives. And he only gives vision, revelation in the person, through the person, and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So conscience, when you look it up, the very first definition you'll see is co-perception. When you were born again, you stepped into the place called in Christ, and only in Christ can you see as God sees because it's his vision he gave you of the kingdom being his righteousness, peace, and joy. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, that you cannot enter the kingdom of God or even see it until you're born again. And Romans 14 and 17 says that the kingdom of God that you can now see and have entered into as a born-again man or woman is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the moment you and I were born again, God gave you His perception. A good conscience now you have. Because you have a co-perception. You don't just see. You see what God sees and you see how God sees. What He sees. You see, God's not going to point you to and deliver you unto Something the Bible says always outside of what he's looking to, what he's looking at, what he works through, that being the death of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.11, write it down. That being the avenue of where true faith works. And therefore, it's a place where we believe and we speak this that we're believing. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 4.11 through 13. If you, if you listen to somebody that's moving you away from the focus of Calvary ever, you're not listening to those who are being moved by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what we're teaching. The focus is through what we're seeing taught in the Word to Christ crucified, where what we're seeing in the Word, the Holy Spirit can guide us into the very truths in the Word that can liberate us and allow us to more often than not be found in Christ, experiencing Him. Amen? So the answer of a good conscience, and back up again, we're told to be ready always to give an answer at defense to every man that comes along that asks you, whether it's in a positive way or a negative, uh, their negativity toward why you are believing what you believe, To always be ready to give an answer. And verse 21 says, the answer, hallelujah, of a good conscience. That means a good perception. I can't say it enough. This is one more powerful teaching. Your conscience is is not just how you feel on the inside. You feel on the inside how you feel because of what you're seeing. And if you're, and, 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 and listen, All spiritual sight, whether it's coming from the Holy Spirit or it's in the spirit world, not of the Holy Spirit. You are going to have a co-perception based on that word co. Who are you seeing like they see? If it's a good conscience... You have the co-perception that God gave you of His at the born-again experience. If that's not what you're looking at to and through, Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, that you, can go bl- you will go blind again. A good conscience, as I close today, a good conscience is the co-perception of God. And we'll get into this more next Monday morning. You don't want to miss it. And go back and listen to the teaching that was an hour and something long. The folks there were so hungry they didn't even want to take a break. They said, just teach all the way to lunch. And we did on this particular thing. And you want to hear it. You want to understand that a good conscience is more than just you feel right 
about what you do. This is the, it's, it, the church is full of it. Oh, just follow the leading of your heart. My friend, you'll be in a big boat of trouble. Do what you feel like you ought to do. No. If we have a good conscience, that means we're seeing what God sees, what He's looking at, and what He'll guide you to and through being the sacrifice of Christ. That's the only thing that makes our conscience good. You know how it is we get a big group of people that believe like we do, and while we're around them, we say we have a good conscience. No, a good conscience is a co-perception of what God sees as good. And what He sees as good is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and only the fruit that comes out of that. We'll get more into this next Monday morning. Uh, 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 and I praise God for the opportunity to be sharing what He's sharing with me today and, and, and be, being a blessing to those who are hungry and thirsty for His righteousness that only the truth can reveal. He that speaks truth, Proverbs 12 and 17, shows forth the righteousness of God, but a false witness, only deceit. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Join us every Monday and Friday here at 9 a.m. Central on Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. If the Lord stirs your heart to pray for us, please do so. Please do so. We're praying and believing God for His touch upon your heart with truth today and even the other things that you need in your life. He sees them, He's aware of them, and He's more than able to be the provision for all that you need. If the Lord stirs your heart to give to this ministry, that's between you and Him, but you can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com or you, you can simply text the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next time. Until then, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.